Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Paul Merrick and uh, I was about to say we'll jump into the Merrill Nass interview. But real quick for all the listeners, please introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about yourself. And thank you very much for doing my podcast. Sure. So my name is Paul Merrick. Um, I trained in South Africa. I am quadruple board certified in internal medicine, critical care medicine, neurocritical care, and nutrition science. I practiced as an intensivist for 35 years uh, until December of 2021, where I was forced to resign. Um, and for the last two years, I've been treating COVID patients and um, COVID has kind of consumed me for the last two years. Um, and f- I was able to evade getting COVID up until recently. I think I got Omicron, but, you know, I was taking my recipe, so it was pretty mild. Yeah, I was uh, I was just saying to you before we start recording, um, I, I've caught it a second time. And, um, yeah, it's not – granted, I think it's Omicron, so it's not as bad, but because I've, you know, Dr. McCullough recommended me back in August, take zinc, turmeric, quercetin, vitamin D, all that good stuff every day. Uh, I mean, aside from some light symptoms, I feel fine. Um, before we segue into the Dr. Nass interview, could you kind of elaborate on the forced resignation, especially of someone with your credentials and your experience? It seems pretty absurd that you would be gotten rid of, especially in a pandemic where you know, the frontline workers are the heroes. Yeah, so you know what? It is a mad world we live in. Nothing really makes sense anymore, and everything has been turned upside down. Uh, so basically, you know, I was treating COVID. In, so I'm an ICU doctor, so I've been treating in the ICU. You know, we developed the uh, Math Plus protocol for the treatment of COVID in the ICU and our protocol, you know, has evolved since we developed it in March of 220. And really it's based on the best available science and it's evolved as the science has evolved. We were in fact the first to recommend the use of corticosteroids for hospitalized patients with COVID. And we did this in March of 220. At that time, the NIH and the WHO and CDC, you know, said do not use steroids. But then, you know, the recovery study came out and it kind of indicated us showing that steroids were effective. So, you know, we've been, uh, you know, ahead of the ball all along. So I was using a, you know, a cocktail of FDA-approved off-label drugs, but these are safe and effective for the treatment of COVID. Um, And just so that one understands, the FDA endorses the use of off-label drug. You know, so what off-label really means is when a pharmaceutical company develops a drug and applies for licensing, it, it applies for a specific indication. But many drugs are used for other indications. That's called off-label. And about 40% of drugs used in a hospital are used off-label. 
And most doctors don't even know if it's on-label or off-label because it doesn't really matter. So, for example, atrial fibrillation is a common cardiac condition. Cardiologists use aspirin. Aspirin is being used off-label. It would be absurd for the FDA to say you can't use aspirin for atrial fibrillation. So that was the world pre-COVID. Suddenly with COVID, you can't use off-label drugs for COVID. You can use them for any other condition. But for COVID, somehow the agencies do not want you to use off-label drugs. It's an absurdity. So I was using a host of off-label drugs that have been proven effective in randomized studies, proven effective for the treatment of COVID. And, you know, I had good results compared to my colleagues. Uh, And then on October the 5th, for reasons that the hospital sent out a memo to the entire healthcare system, but essentially targeting me, basically saying that the pharmacy will not dispense blah, 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 drugs that I had been using. Uh, so, you know, this included fluvoxamine, dutesteride, uh, finasteride, um, and vitamin C, believe it or not. So this, they clearly targeted me and what they wanted me to use, you know, what was left on the list was remdesivir. And as we know, remdesivir is a toxic drug. So that's what led to this situation, which was most unfortunate. So, you know, the first week that I operated under these conditions, I had seven patients who had COVID and basically, I there was nothing I could do. I just had to, you know, watch them because I wasn't allowed to treat them the way I would have normally treated them. So, I mean, the hospital was interfering with my ability to practice medicine, which is, you know, is an outrage. And um, so I stood by idly as all seven of these patients died. They all died, including a 31-year-old woman who had COVID. And, you know, obviously this was profoundly traumatic for me. I never faced such a situation in my entire career that I was being prohibited from practicing medicine. The hospital was interfering with my ability to provide care to my patients. So, you know, I was had no option. I, you know, I had a either quit or sue them. So I sued them. And unfortunately, when we went to court, um, the hospital and their witness lied, because that's what they do. And I think the judge didn't really know what to do. So we lost the injunction. And then what the hospital did, it's called sham peer review. They invented a whole host of crimes that I had committed, which were completely bogus and made up. But apparently this is a technique that hospitals use to get rid of doctors who they consider troublemakers. And so basically with the sham peer review, you have very little due process. Um, You know, rapists and murderers and thieves have more due process than physicians in this process. You assumed guilty you you aren't allowed legal representation. And then what they do is they drag this on, 
report you to the state board and national practitioner data bank, which essentially ends your career. It's a ploy I had never heard of before, um, but it, it kind of emphasizes the enormous power that hospitals actually have over physicians. This was something that I really wasn't aware of. So ultimately, you know, as a physician in, in this time, you have to toe the line. You know, you have to do what the federal government says, which is what the NIH says, which is what the hospital says. You know, if you try and practice medicine, um, there's serious consequences. They don't want you to buck the system. And this seems to be a COVID phenomenon because, you know, pre-COVID, physicians had much more leeway in practicing medicine as long as it was an FDA-approved drug. And, I mean, the FDA says you can use these drugs at the discretion of the physician, which is what doctors do. But suddenly with COVID, both the federal government and the state agencies and hospitals are really dictating how doctors practice medicine. And the good example is if you look at hospitalized patients with COVID, I would say 90% of patients hospitalized in this country with COVID are treated with remdesivir and low-dose dexamethasone, which is an absurdity because it's just... It's common sense that your treatment regimen should be titrated or adjusted according to your particular patient and how sick they are. The sicker the patient, the more aggressive you need to treat them. But no, in this country, every single patient gets the exact same dose and the exact same regimen, which is an absurdity. And if you try back the system, you know what, they don't like it. Um, and you, you, you know, you lose your job. Um, so, you know, um, it's an absurdity. Uh, things may be changing. So actually today, as a consequence of my situation, a bill was passed in the Virginia legislature, which actually prohibits hospitals doing to doing what they did to me, that you cannot, um, remove a patient, a physician's um, privileges based on their prescribing patterns and what they want to prescribe. And the other problem that comes about is that pharmacists in this country have assumed the role of physicians. They think they're doctors so that they are refusing to fill prescriptions for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine which is an absurdity because they're interfering with the physician's ability to treat his patient. Um, major problem across the country, and included in this bill was a provision that would prevent pharmacists from doing this. So, you know, I think we are making some slow progress, but, you know, it's a crazy world out there. And unfortunately, because of the system patients have got substandard care. Um, you know, I think probably the most important point about COVID, and I think, you know, Dr. Ness um, emphasized this, is early treatment. And there are a bunch of drugs you can use, including hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and, and nitazoxanide and a whole bunch of drugs. But 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Early treatment is essential, um, but the government doesn't want to tell you that and the state agencies don't want to tell you that. This is a treatable disease. So what they've done is they've instilled a sense of fear in people's minds. So people are fearful of this disease. They feel, uh, you know, they're not in control. And this is, you know, in a way led to people being vaccinated. They feel this is the only way out of this. Um, so I think the biggest mistake, the biggest lesson is that this is a treatable disease. And if we had treated it, you know, um, with effective medications starting March and April of 2020, we would not be where we are now. And we know it works. For example, there's a state in India called Uttar Pradesh. Mm-hmm has a population of 220 million people. They had a COVID issue. So they developed a test and treat strategy where they gave, you know, ivermectin, vitamin D and other medications. They obliterated, um, you know, COVID-19. So the absurd thing is that in the U.S., Ivermectin is considered a dangerous horse deworming medicine. It's dangerous. Yet it's been approved for use or it's used in 79 other countries across the world. So, you know, how can it be that it's safe and effective in Japan, in India, in Bangladesh, in Brazil, and yet it's dangerous for Americans? So, and obviously the answer is it has to do with misinformation and propaganda because those are countries where Big Pharma has less influence. I was going to say we could look at maybe off-label uses of agencies. It seems like in the United States we're prescribed FDA and those other nations aren't prescribed FDA and they're seeing incredible results from that. So to... To sort of, as a quadruple certified physician, can we diagnose why this is happening? It seems it has to be, right? It has to be regulatory capture. This has to be corruption. You said earlier, I believe your words were it was an outrage. I would respectfully disagree and say these are crimes against humanity. Is that exaggerating? Am I pearl clutching? Or no, is that- no, absolutely. So, you know, my colleague Pierre Corey goes on about this you know, incessantly, this is corruption, this is agency capture, this is a crime against humanity. So, you know, there's no question of doubt that the FDA is the CDC, the NIH is controlled by Big Pharma. I mean, it's just so blatantly obvious. And, you know, you know, you just have to look, you just have to look at Malpinovir, which was just approved by the FDA, based on really flimsy data, if any. It seemed that placebo, placebo may have been more effective than this drug, which is a mutagenic drug. And one study, and they 
they approve it. Whereas there, I don't know, 50, 60 studies looking at ivermectin, which show, you know, significant benefits in terms of viral clearance, symptomatic improvement, decreasing death. And yet they cannot recognize its use. So, you know, the answer is pretty simple. This is big pharma, which is captured. Um, I mean, so I think the FDA do not work for the American people. They work for big pharma. And I think that's the only conclusion that that one can draw from this. Because it's interesting, Malpiravir, unlike Ivermectin, was not approved in India. I mean, they recognize this is a, you know, ineffective drug. Yet I believe the American government has bought, you know, millions of doses of this ridiculously toxic drug. Um, it's really a toxic drug. It, it was used for HIV and influenza and abandoned because it it's a mutagenic drug. It causes mutations and congenital abnormalities in pregnant women. It's, it's a really bad drug. Whereas, you know, they say ivermectin is a dangerous, toxic drug. So, which is absurd because 3.7 billion people, people have actually received, sorry, 3.7 billion doses have been dispensed to millions of people. After penicillin, it's probably the second most important drug ever developed in terms of its effect on humanity, uh, in terms of parasitic diseases in Africa, Asia, and South America. It's safer than Tylenol. It's safe. Um, it has a, it's an exceedingly safe drug. And so they have basically lied, saying this is a toxic drug. Um, there have been more deaths from Tylenol. There have been significantly more deaths from remdesivir. There have been astronomically more deaths from the vaccine in just a short period of time than remdesivir, than ivermectin over 25 years. So this is a remarkably safe drug. It's actually quite difficult to kill someone with ivermectin because it's so safe. So unfortunately, you know, the, the media, social media, the agencies have been very effective in disseminating this false information and this false narrative, which people believe, you know, because if it seems like that they're all captured so that they're all reiterating the same message. So people read this and wherever they go, they read this, get the same information. So they think it's the truth. Um, and that's unfortunately the situation we're in. In terms of <clears throat> capture, I mean, I mean, I was permanently banned from YouTube for my final strike was Dr. McCullough in late August 2021. It was a 30-second clip. I actually cut out of an episode and uploaded it because I thought it was so important. It was because, I, you know, I have on people that are younger than me. I've had, I think the oldest guest I've had on is Charlie Duke, who walked on the moon. I think he's almost 90. And everyone in between. And because of that, my audience is everyone in between. And I was like, well, this is, Dr. McCullough said, he was like, regardless of vaccine status, regardless of what you think, everyone should be taking vitamin D, zinc, turmeric, and quercetin. And I was like, well, I think that's important. And I uploaded it, and I have some guests on here who are 
know, completely pro-vax and, you know, hate everyone that argues against it. But even they were messaging me and they're like, hey, man, that's a thanks for putting that up. You know, my dad's 95. I'm going to have him. And Dr. McCullough said, and what's great is because this all costs about $7 at Walmart. That was about, I think it was 29 or 30 seconds. That was the video that got me permanently banned from YouTube. Not interviewing human, not interviewing people who fight human trafficking, not interviewing a kid who survived a school shooting, not interviewing Delta Force guys, not interviewing uh, an EOD, Explosives Ordnance Disposal member of the Secret Service talking about how to build a bomb. None of that. It was Dr. McCullough and with his sweetest voice just telling people you got to go to Walmart and get these four drugs. And get... That is what got me banned. And so in my little microcosm, I can see the effect of capture. But on a positive twist, today is February 1st, 2022 for all future listeners. In your opinion, because I know that my opinions changed over the last three months, six months, year, it does seem like, you know, some sunlight's poking through the leaves now. It whether it's the Canadian convoy or I had Dr. Hodkinson on yesterday and he was up there and he was all fired up. His voice is gone. Whether it's Joe Rogan, whether it's whatever. Do you believe as someone who has experienced this like Dr. Nass uh, more intimately than anyone, do you believe there is some cause for hope that it is very slowly and aggravatingly slowly, but happening nonetheless, do you believe progress is underway towards breaking apart this whole captured all these ca- yeah, every news agency, every social media, every regulatory agency are, are, are there, are there cracks appearing in the facade and is the dam going to break? Yeah. So I think it's a good question. I think that cracks in the dam. Um, definitely. I think more people are understanding what's going on. Um, you need to see what's happened. You know, I mean, you look at the British people. You can fool people for so long, but then after a while, you can no longer fool them anymore. So, you know, things have changed in the UK, in Ireland, in Europe, in Canada. In the US, it's changing slowly. I think the problem is, is that the narrative is so well established that those who propagating and potentiating this false narrative are so entrenched and that they will never admit that they've made a mistake. You know, I think, you know, as humans, we make mistakes. And clearly this approach has failed. You know, this whole composite approach of everything has failed because we have more cases now than we've ever had. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The hospitalizations are up. The deaths are up. You know, we were told we would have herd immunity and this disease would go away. So it's completely failed. So I think there are more and more people who are looking at what's happening and and raising questions. Um However, I think, you know, the forces against which we are, you know, opposed are extremely powerful. 
have you know enormous backing and are not going to back down. I think they will never admit that they made a mistake just because they have so much invested in this. So, you know, the battle is 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 not over. I think, you know, there are more and more people who are asking questions, which is what you have to do because, you know, you've been censored, we've been censored, I've been censored. I mean, it's absurd. You know, my, my YouTube videos were taken down because I was so-called spreading medical misinformation. Really, what I was talking about was the scientific truth. So unless you follow the narrative of safe and effective and that there are no other alternative therapies, even vitamins, as you discovered, you are perpetuating misinformation and false information, you have to be taken down, which goes against the the core fabric of science. Science is about asking questions. And, you know, you may not always get the same answer, but at least you ask the question, you discuss the question, and people can have counterpoints of view. That's the basis of science, and that's how progress is made. But unfortunately, with COVID, any opposition to the stated state narrative is considered misinformation and you banned. And obviously they have control over social media, control of the press. It's, it's, it's frightening. That's the part that's so scary. You know, this is like some kind of a totalitarian totalitarian kind of a regime, you know, they have total control. Um, you know, when I say this is like a expanded version of, you know, Nazi Germany, people kind of are somewhat aghast, but that's what I think it is. It's a hundred percent what it is. Nothing can, it, it only compares to the worst totalitarian regimes that there have ever been complete and total, you know, do not question the state. This is this is fact. I mean, in my have you ever seen the miniseries Chernobyl on HBO? Nope. Very good series. Came out like two or three years ago. It's only like eight episodes, but it's fantastic. The whole thing is basically the explosion happens at the reactor, and there's people are coming out sick. They're dying from radiation poisoning. They're you know they're finding graphite outside. And you can see the state line is the state line is RBMK reactors can't explode. And so you have guys that the firemen are like, they're like shoveling rubble and they're like, it exploded. And they're like, no, it didn't. And so they're getting out the, uh, the Geiger counters and they're going out and they're going, it's only at 3.6 Rentgen, but that's, that's as high as they go. So they bring in a military one and the military one taps out at 15,000 and it's hitting 15,000. And they're going, this is this is impossible. And all the while, it, you see it going up the chain of command. And you see these guys going, uh, it's it's exploding out there. And they're basically saying, you know, you're going to go to the gulag if you keep that up. So they say it's 3.6. And the manager comes in and he goes, it's 3.6. Then, you know, his manager's called in. And then the guy above him, the guy above him, you see it going up the chain of command. And they're all kind of talking. They're like, yes, it's, there was no explosion. That's impossible. Like Soviet reactors are the best. And you see it and you can, there's actually a scene where a guy from the KGB comes in 
And he goes like, cut, he says, I think he says, cut the phone lines, stop the flow of misinformation. And this was like two years before COVID, before that term ever mattered to anyone. And he, he goes, stop the flow of misinformation. And they start doing it. But other scientists in the Soviet <laughs> Union who are just doing unrelated uh, work are starting to, you know, maybe they're doing samples on leaves or whatever, or, you know, just whatever, a biologist a thousand miles away. And they're starting to notice like, strontium 90 calcium radioactive calcium uranium and so they're starting to report stuff and then they get started they start getting visited by the kgb and they're like you didn't see that and you see it getting clamped down clamped down even when people are being brought to the hospital they're like this isn't radiation poisoning take off all their clothes and put it in the furnace but it's not radiation poisoning and they did a very good job however unlike say an assassination plot where you can actually bury the truth and then the last person dies and no one knows what happened. This was a physical phenomena occurring in our three-dimensional reality. Just like the earth not being flat or the sun not revolving around us. It is the corp. It is the physical universe we're in. It's not an opinion. It's not a, it's not a, you know, a, 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 a sexy affair it's science. And so what eventually starts happening, they start detecting it in like Poland and then the UK and the US starts like detecting clouds off Alaska. It's just what it is. It's not, it's not pro or anti-Soviets. It's just, it's a radioactive cloud. It's just what it is. I always think to the Chernobyl miniseries and I'm not sponsored by HBO, but I'll happily take one. I always think of that when I think of covid this isn't who was responsible for jfk it's just what it is it's the same double helix it's the same dividing cells it's the same uh horizontal you know horizontal gene transfers the same evolution it's the same protein folding there is no totalitarian state powerful enough to to hold up a lie that outwits 4 billion years of evolution. It's the cells split the same. <laughs> the, the, or the, the nasal cavities are the same. Our eyes have the, there's the same rods and cones. It's air pressure is what it is. To me, it's a matter of time and we can accelerate it by, you know, being one of those nuclear reactor workers till finally someone higher up in the Soviet military finds out gets Gorbachev's approval and then like a bunch of people go to the gulags and are presumably shot but it's it's science and so that may sound like an odd statement Chernobyl gives me hope that statement's never been mentioned out loud before but Chernobyl does give me hope you can't you can't cover it forever the moon landing happened eventually there will be space flight that is accessible to peasants like you and I and we're going to go up and see the footprints and see the rovers. It's just what it is. It occurred in three-dimensional reality with a fourth dimension of time. It's not pro or anti anyone. It's just what it is. And I know I'm rambling now, but that's what I have hope for, is that it will happen. No, I, yeah. no, I agree with you. So, you know, 
the argument about many of these drugs is is not science. The science is clear. It's the politics. And eventually, I mean, you can suppress the truth for so long, but then it starts coming out and then more of it comes out and the more it comes out, it becomes, you know, self-perpetuating. So it will, the truth will come out. There's no question. And, you know, there will be a lot of people that will have a lot of answering to do because they know the truth and, you know, they deliberately suppressing it. Um, So, you know, I agree with you. Um, we just need to accelerate that path just because people are dying, unfortunately, as part of, you know, the collateral damage that's happening with this. Some people think of it as a planned pandemic rather than a pandemic, that this whole thing was planned, which, you know, I don't even want to contemplate because it's just such an evil concept. Um but certainly there's some really bad forces at play, and I think the truth will eventually come out. Listen, you can't hide it. I agree with you. Um, the Chernobyl an- analogy is quite good. And obviously there were lots of people, although it wasn't well publicized, who, who got really sick and kids who got cancer from, from their radioactivity. Um, so, you know, the, the truth will come out. In terms of it being planned, uh, Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough have both both kind of expressed the same thoughts on this podcast. You almost don't want to contemplate it because it's too it's too evil. But you know, kind of like people being aghast when you compare it to the Third Reich, I think there are some uh, fitting comparisons that can be made. I think of the first concentration camp that was liberated. I think it was Ordorf, Ordorf, O-H-R-D-R-U-F. I might be misspelling that. And think of how bad that has to be, finding this thing. You're a bunch of allied soldiers. Okay, you know, political prisoners. That's not, not to make light of it. That's not a new thing, right? It's been going on throughout human history. We are barbarians. And you find this, and they're all kind of in matching uniform. All right, prisoners, maybe you're trying to make sense of it. They've been starved. Okay, it's it's terrible, but it's still not new. But what happens when you find the second camp and then the third and then you realize these aren't even the big ones and then you start finding survivors with tattoos you start finding records and you start finding the rail lines and the Zyklon B and then the picture starts coming together like I'm sure a lot of those soldiers did there's probably nothing you, you can do but vomit and probably get blind drunk how do you accept that but you do as a you know, as a scientist like yourself and Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone, you do eventually, no matter how scary, no matter how scary that image is, no matter how bright the sun is, sometimes you have to look at it, even if it hurts. You got to put on sunglasses or welding goggles and look at it. And to me, you know, I don't think it's that absurd of an idea to say that this was intentional. Now, I don't. I don't necessarily believe that it was intentional to, I think it, I think it's a sexy conspiracy, you know, sure it's implemented so that there's digital IDs and you gotta, that, I think it was more of China was facing an existential threat 
from a re-rising United States and they kind of use their nuclear option. I don't think that's that absurd. I mean, look what happened when we went toe to toe with the Soviets and they finally started to collapse in 89 and 91. They had nuclear weapons. They chose not to use them because it meant we would have all died. China might be looking at like, hey, we're kind of in this standoff with the US. Their military budget's far larger than ours. They've done a cold war before with a communist regime. They could do another. Why not do some asymmetric warfare? We know it's true. We know, you know, who's the 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 Nazi um, sword and the shield program, all about va- vaccinating your own population and then killing the others because they had so much experience of what went wrong in World War One using chemicals. You spray them and then the wind changes. So I think it was Dr. Kurt Bloma. His plan was called the sword and the shield. If you want to have a sword, you got to be able to have your shield as well. And then we know about Unit 731 under Shiro Ishii in Manchuria. We know that we brought over a lot of those scientists with Operation Paperclip. We know that's a thing. I've interviewed seven times now uh, Dr. Ken Alabek, the first deputy director of Biopreparat, the Soviet Union's bioweapon program. They're putting Ebola on top of like uh, ICBM nose cones. He defected to the United States in 1992. That's not that long ago. That's 30 years ago. And it allegedly ended, right? It always allegedly ends. No, it doesn't. If you're a nation as barbaric and ruthless as China, who has two million two million Uyghurs in concentration camps, there's that Nazi analogy again. It's it's terrible to think about, and you know that you can't use a nuclear weapon because that's death for everyone on the planet. Yeah, why wouldn't you release a virus that would destroy supply lines, even if just to give yourself a breather? You know. The guy's beating you in the track race, so you hit his calves just so he stumbles for a couple steps. I don't, I don't think it's that absurd of a of a proposition at all. And I do have to clarify that I speak for myself and and uh, and not you. <laughs> These are my statements. I don't want that to embroil you later on. But yeah, so I mean, I think people need to think about this. You know, you have to have an open mind. Just because I think there's some very nefarious things going on, and you know. What the absolute truth is, I'm not sure we know. But if you think about it, when people first raised the concept that maybe this was came from, or this was a manufactured virus that came from a lab, I mean, people thought this is bogus conspiracy theory. And I think the evidence now is pretty conclusive that this was a man-made virus. Now, whether it was an accidental leak or was let go on purpose, we don't know. But I think, you know, so so what was labeled, you know, bizarre conspiracy theory by those involved in this and NIH has turned out to be the truth. So you have to keep an open mind because who knows? And um, the evilness of humanity, I mean, people, I mean, humans can do really bad stuff to each other. The whole concept of gain of function research is obviously um, very evil in its intent and should never have been been allowed. I think, you know, that's why the Obama administration kind of outlawed it, but they got got around it. Um, so, you know, who knows? You know, they're, they're there are lots of things we just don't understand, but I think you have to keep an open mind because, you know, the pieces will fall together with time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, to me, it's, that is kind of like the very uh, important 
deciphering point is it's one thing if it's made in a lab it really depends on whether or not it was released intentionally or not right i mean because i mean what the cdc at atlanta we still have samples of smallpox right so they do the same in moscow like that's not it's a very very big difference if that if the little boy bomb falls out of the enola gay by accident or intentionally there's a very big you know what was that reasoning was it so whatever but and obviously that's such an important question but obviously the who are so embroiled with china that most of the evidence has been destroyed and the who doesn't want to investigate it and in fact <laughs> the people who were involved in the gain of function research were appointed by the us to go and investigate the potential bad doing isn't that absurd so you know what i mean there was an intentional cover up of yeah. what actually happened so while i think it's absolutely clear this was man made whether that very vital question of whether it was an accidental leak or planned you know i'm not there are people who know but i don't think we will know for sure that's yeah it's uh the soviet union has investigated chernobyl and they said nothing's happening there well, okay all right hey we at, we asked Werner von braun to his face were there concentration camps and he said no so guys i mean that's you know case closed it's again it's very important but so let's go with the less evil one let's say it just escaped just faulty security protocols you know humans do make mis- humans are evil Humans also just make mistakes, right? So let's say it came out by accident. Regardless of if it came out by accident or whether it came out intentionally, we are still seeing in real time, as this podcast is being recorded, a direct violation of the Nuremberg Code, as your experiences tell us, same with Dr. Ness. You are being forced either through getting the vaccine through coercion or not having informed consent, or you being forced to withhold life-saving medical treatment, just regardless. So to me, although it matters whether or not the virus was released intentionally or or whether it really didn't come out of a lab, let's go with the least evil option. It really did one in a hundred trillion, whatever, a pangolin and a bat. Okay, whatever. Life's weird. What we are seeing right now, regardless of the origin of this phenomena, the response itself is criminal. Is that not correct? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it seems like the NIH and Fauci knew about this leak business, you know, in January and February of 2020. And it seemed like no alarm bells were raised. It's seemed like people just wanted to sit back and see what happened rather than actually do something about it because I think they knew the potential. And basically, we've been ineffective in controlling this. You know, there were many things we could have done to limit the spread of this disease, treat people early. But it seems like that's counter to what the plan was. The plan was for this to become a pandemic and to scare people and to vaccinate people and give them 
you know, expensive drugs. Um, so I think it's been a complete global failure, a global failure. And we've been provided with misinformation at so many different levels. And it's astonishing to me how many physicians, healthcare providers just don't understand this disease. I mean, it's been around for two years. You would imagine that it's, you can't ignore it, that there would be such a lot of information on how to deal with this disease. And yet it's the same narrative over and over again. It's truly astonishing. And, you know, you can look at simple things. You know, you spoke about vitamins. So, you know, if we just take, put aside, you know, where this came from and all this nefarious stuff, but just what we could do. There's simple things that people could do, but nobody wants to talk about it. I mean, you, you know, McCulloch spoke about it and you got, you know, deplatformed because you were telling the truth. And, you know, they don't want people to be empowered. And the tragedy is people can empower themselves. They, there's stuff they can do to lessen their risk of getting SARS-CoV-2. And we can risk stratify people. So, you know, kids and adolescents are at such a low risk of dying, healthy kids of dying of COVID. So why are we vaccinating them? It is a mystery. So, you know, your kids are more likely to die from their bicycle than they are from COVID. The risk is infinitesimally small. So why don't we just ban bicycles? That will be more cost-effective. So, you know, we should have empowered people. Like, you know, as you said, if people would take vitamin D and we can emphasize vitamin D, the risk of dying from COVID, if you have a blood um, vitamin D level above 50, is close to zero. So there are many things people can do, and these are cheap over-the-counter um, things that you can do. Vitamin C, uh, you know, nigella sativa or, or black curcumin, um, quercetin. There are a whole bunch of things people can do to improve their immune system and to lessen the risk. And then the most obvious one is, you know, what we call oropharyngeal sanitization, is that the virus grows in your oropharynx, but mostly in your nasopharynx. So what you can do is get a solution of providone iodine. You just squish it in your nose, kills the virus within 15 seconds. So... That's a highly effective method of killing the virus. And it kind of makes sense because I think probably the most important risk factor is your viral load in your nasopharynx. So if you can reduce the viral load, then you reduce your symptoms, you reduce the risk of getting sick. So, you know, we recommend an oropharyngeal mouthwash that is actually biricidal. And there are a whole bunch of products on the market that kill the virus. So, you know, we should be, these are cheap over the counter. You can get them at grocery stores, at pharmacies. So these are simple interventions that folks can do to lessen their risk and when they get it, to do something proactively. But this kind of, you know, off-label use, nobody talks about because you can't make money. 
Um, and that's the tragedy that, you know, we've people have been scared into submission and they haven't been empowered to take control of their life. You know, I think people should have a what if kit at home. You know, what if you get COVID? So rather than waiting and then going to the doctor and getting your meds, you should have this at home. So that as soon as you have a, a febrile illness, you have a fever and whatever, start it immediately. The likelihood is it's COVID. If it's not COVID, it's influenza, which will respond just as well. So, you know, they've done that in many countries, just have the stuff available. And, you know, that would have been a highly effective approach, but then no one would have wanted to be vaccinated and nobody would would get these expensive drugs. So... That's that's the tragedy. And as you know, I mean, 800,000 people have died in this country, over 5 million across the world. And this is a treatable disease. Um, the human toll has been enormous. And I think most of these deaths were unnecessary, um, which is the, the human tragedy. Yeah, Dr. McCullough thinks 85% could have been avoided. Dr. Fareed thinks 99% could have been avoided. So to not, right, because if, if you and I sit here and, and talk about how it's all doom and gloom, though necessary, yeah, we have to point out the reality of the situation. We also can't look at the liberated concentration camp and say, oh, it's, you know, human beings, huh? You know, we're some real dark people. Eventually, we have to look, and I understand the, the exaggeration of making a comparison of that. Obviously, this is nowhere near as bad. But we do have to look at what can we still do. You know, yeah. So, yeah, so that's the point. And so although there's a lot of badness, you know, what I think is people can do stuff. There's a lot of stuff people can do proactively to take control you know, as you said, just take these vitamins, you know, get vitamin D, get some, you know, vericidal mouthwash, which kills the virus. Don't be scared. Most importantly, you know, have a what if kit at home. So there are lots of things that people can proactively do to, to you know, protect themselves against this virus. And, um, I, you know, I think the other thing which which is neglected is the effect this has had on children. Um, I, I, you know, they've been through hell. They have not had a normal childhood, and I think we've seen the toll. I think the use of, you know, in home schooling, masks, vaccination, they've been unsocialized. I think it's had a dramatic effect on their cognitive development. Um, and the repercussions are, are, are enormous. So this has had a terrible effect on you know childhood development, uh, cognitive development, intellect. Um, it's had some really bad collateral effects. And I think people need to take control. Um, you have to... You know, you have control of your life, and I think there are things people can do. And to be informed, you know, I think, you know, information and knowledge is very powerful. So people need to dig a little bit deeper, open their minds, and, um, you know, have a look what's out there. 
And I think to listen to both sides of, of any argument yeah. is, is very, it's a very healthy thing. If you only listen to one side, then you do not know the truth. And, you know, even people who may have very bizarre ideas, listen to what they have to say. You know, people should just weigh up what they think is the best evidence. But you have to listen to both sides of the argument. Yeah. I mean, we might be wrong. Maybe you and Dr. Nass are wrong. Maybe Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough are actually wrong. You got to always be open to that. I don't know that. I don't think you guys are, but I don't know that. And you always have to be open because the minute you say, no, I know that this is the truth now. Well, now you're just as bad as the people trying to suppress it. What, what else can you do? So people should have that, you know, that what if uh, kit ready at home, but what else can you do or, or what can Dr. Nass do? I mean, aside from just doing more interviews, just talking about this, because you know, that's, that's what I can do is I can, I'm in an apartment with a microphone. I can, I can interview people and I can post these online and try to facilitate this information and hope that it catches somewhere. What else can you do aside from just more interviews? Yeah. So that's a good question because I think we have to use all avenues and what gives me some degree of confidence is, you know, I've been speaking with people in the legislature and I think that there is, you know, you've talked about the dam wall cracking. It's cracking. What's disturbing is that it's happening in, I'm going to have to say it, red states and not blue states, which is truly astonishing to me <laughs> that this is a political issue. So um, believe it or not, North Carolina has 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 a bill which will prevent doctors having their licenses threatened depending on what they prescribe and pharmacists cannot refuse to prescribe these medications and they have a whole list it's not just ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine they have a whole list of drugs used for COVID and it seems to have it may actually go through Today, as I said, in the Virginia um, legislature, they passed a, a bill which, again, protects doctors from losing their license and prohibits pharmacists from denying it. In New Hampshire, they have a really progressive bill which will allow ivermectin to be, to be dispensed over-the-counter, over-the-counter, so you actually don't even need a prescription you can just go to the pharmacy and you can get it, which kind of makes sense because people are going to do what they're going to do. And if they can't get medical grade ivermectin, they're going to use veterinary grade. Yeah. So, you know what? I mean, it's the whole thing about marijuana and all yeah. these other things. Yeah. You know, if you just make it legal and the nice thing about ivermectin is it's very safe. So, you know, people can't, you know, harm themselves. So the idea of going to a pharmacist and the pharmacist, you know, checks your weight and height and other drugs and dispenses it to you makes so much sense because then it takes all this nonsense out of the equation. And that will allow people to use it prophylactically or therapeutically, but give people the choice. You know, this is about freedom of choice is that, 
you know, I'm not telling other doctors how to practice. Let them decide for themselves. You know, they're physicians. They have a relationship with the patient. This should be a patient-physician decision. We should not have the state or federal agencies or hospitals telling doctors what to do. And there are some doctors who will disagree with our approach. Well, that's fine. They do what they think is is in their patient's best interest because ultimately they take responsibility for the patient. But I must say what's really interesting is that, you know, people like Dr. Fareed and um, Peter McCulloch and our group, you know, it, when it's and Harvey Rick, when it started off, we were looking at this from a different angle. What's truly astonishing is I think we've all come together to to the same conclusion and have the same approach, which is very encouraging. Um, so I think that's that's one of the good things is that you know all these people who really trying to help patients have united in a common approach to these people. And, you know, I don't think it matters whether it's hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or phlevoxamine. It's just do something. You can't just do nothing. And in medicine, I mean, just the concept of someone sick and you do nothing is an absurdity. You've you got to do something. On a, on, a, on a closing note, I will point out that when a bunch of individuals looking at data using the scientific method come to the same conclusion at different times. Isn't that kind of like the Egyptians and the Romans and the Greeks and uh, what the this Islamic empire, how they all kind of discovered like the same formulas for, you know, the, the, the triangle and the pyramid and they all estimated the circumference of the earth and, you know, all that stuff. I think that's, I think that's called science when that's kind of how it all yeah. boils down. <laughs> yes. It's science, and because science is the truth, and when you, it's really it's heartwarming that we all came have come to the same conclusion because it's based on the best available science. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, that's a that's that tends to be how it works, right? Is a when you guys all look at it and huh, what a surprise! They all, you know, the oldest civilizations in the world, they all built pyramid-like structures. Why? That's just how they could stack up and hold the mass of the lower floor. It's just what it is. It's not. Pro- it's just what it is. The problem is, is that there are a lot of people who look out the window and they still think the earth is flat. Well, so, but you know what? It, there's it's always going to be a number of those, man. Yeah. You know what? I mean, so they're going to have to realize soon that things are changing. Well, with, you know, if someone thinks the world is flat, what you can do is ask them to explain explain to you why the earth is flat and if they'd like to do it while you go for a walk and then you just walk in one direction and as they're explaining it and you eventually get back to the same house a year later or 10 years later well they, 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 yeah they may be worried they may fall over the edge yeah, no, which, you just keep them distracted you go you know keep telling me this is very interesting keep telling me and you walk you know if the world let's just imagine it's not twenty four thousand miles around you just keep walking and that's weird you go isn't that your house you come back around, yeah. you can kind of do the same thing. I don't know how you do it, whether it's ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, or early treatment. Just kind of walk and walk and then let them realize and go, huh, isn't that funny? Just let it go. That's how yep. it is. Dr. Merrick, thank you so much for your time, sir. Uh, I'd love to get you and Dr. Nass together sometime. That would be incredible. And um, Yeah, so I must tell you, the interview you did with her was astonishing. Um, She's a very smart woman. She's brilliant. Um, 
very smart, Ed. I mean, I, I actually wasn't going to watch the whole thing, but it was so intriguing that I watched the whole thing. She's very smart. and um, She sucks you, know, you in. She sucks you in. Yeah, she's really good. And you know what's the most disappointing is, because I knew about her case, but I, you know, I didn't know much about her, is that the main medical board had, apart from taking away her license, had ordered that she have neuropsychiatric yep. evaluation. Yep. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, I think that how evil can you get? I mean, this is a brilliant woman who whose knowledge is unbelievable and they, they, they challenge her in such a evil way. Another line from Chernobyl is when the guy keeps saying it's it's the, the reactor exploded and they're yelling at him the KGB's in there intimidating him and he won't he won't let up he keeps saying this is a disaster what do they finally say he's gone crazy this is the line take him to the infirmary that's the yes. line take him to the infirmary i have hope Chernobyl gives me hope. They said she needs to have a neuropsych evaluation. Take him to the infirmary. 3.6 Rentgen. It's going to come out. And we can just keep poking holes in it. And unlike 1986, we do have social media. We do have our own cameras and microphones. And we can help accelerate the breaking of this dam. So I do have hope. And thank you for what you're doing. Because I think the more people that are out there trying to speak the truth, the the better it is for all of us. Absolutely. It's an accelerating process and it's it's going to benefit us all too. This isn't, you know, whether, whether these laws are being passed in red states or blue states, I don't, I don't care. It's kind of, it's the same thing for me. This isn't, I'm going to do this because so-and-so is going to get, no, it's so that we've already lost two times, almost two times the number of U.S. soldiers that were killed in World War II. Not casualties, but actual fatalities. I believe it was 415,000. We're coming up on double that. We all have to do something. You can't not do something. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty easy. I just sit, I sit in a chair and I'm wearing pajama pants and I just talk to cool guys like you. But what do I have to complain about? I'm not storming the beaches in Normandy. I'm sitting right here with the water and an air conditioner on. If this is my fight, man, I can I can do this forever. Bring it on. But uh, Dr. Merrick, thank you, sir. I will uh, email you and text you this episode when it's up. And um, I think I know some other people that would like to interview you as well. So I'll text you that as well. Um, okay. Th- thank you so much, sir. Thank you for everything you're doing. God bless. And, just, and you too, hey. Recording you, stopped. You have a good one.